You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome into the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio, part of the Republic of Football podcast feed. You can check us out on the feed. Dave Campbell's Republic of Football. Or you can check us out on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube right now. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Smash it. Appreciate you joining in however you join in. Uh, We are in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for football season, fall ball, uh, whatever little league flag football thing you're doing, if you are trying to go to the Tarleton game and you need a red or white shirt, if you need a throwback Under Armour gear, you can do all of that at Cardinals Sports Center. MyCardinalSports.com or live and in person right outside the loop. They're on slide road. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm good. A little bit exhausting being everybody's Super Bowl. Texas fans, Pitt fans. But it it is what it is. Yeah. Explain to the people who uh, may not be on Twitter all day, every day. Um. What happened today with West Virginia and Pitt fans? Well, it's their big rivalry week. And, uh, well, first off, not to derail this before we even get started, but um, when Joey last year, when we beat Texas and he said everything runs through Lubbock, that really hurt a lot of Texas fans' feelings. Yes, it did. Like, I know we joke about Super Bowl and rent-free. Like, they have had that written down on their whiteboard in their heads for 12 months. And we're waiting on our downfall to use that. Like, I did not realize the extent to which Joey hurt them with that comment. And like, okay, yeah, we lost to Wyoming. That sucks. But you lost to us in Lubbock. And like, until you make amends for that, he can kind of say whatever he wants after he beats you. But um, anyway, Pitt, like for no reason, we have no beef with Pitt. I I honestly don't know if Tech has played Pitt in any of the major – sports since I've been alive. But the backyard brawl is this historic rivalry with West Virginia. You and I, of course, committed to being Mountaineers for life for a week back in March. And so forget how it's oh yeah, there was a tweet from the Oakland Zoo, which I guess is the name of the pit student section about how they own the all-time series of stuff. And Like, I I see both sides of this. On one hand, some people really do kind of cherry pick the history, and they're like, well, in odd-numbered years since 1995, ever since we got to this conference, if you take out these three instances, then we've won every game. But then other people, like, really do hang their hat on stuff that happened before the Great Depression, and it's like, okay, the guys playing football back then were five foot seven, 125 pounds. And I seriously did not know this before today, but Pitt claims two – basketball national championships from like 1928 and 1930 and it's not the nit it's not the ncaa tournament it was some like 
I would I would guess ninety nine percent of sports fans like wouldn't even be able to tell you the name of this tournament that apparently used to determine the national championship. So anyway, they did. They used to beat West Virginia like really early in the rivalry's history. Um, but over the last like 30, 40 years, you know, most of the time that folks like us have been alive, West Virginia has the upper hand in, in all three sports, major sports. And so, you know, it's, it's like easy when you don't actually care about the rivalry. Like I don't actually care about Pitt. And so you just say like Pitt is a clown school <laughs> and then you get like 10 Pitt fans trying to quote tweet you about Texas tech. And like, then they're engaged, taking it seriously. And so um, they responded and said that UTEP is more relevant than tech. And so I responded with a cut from the last 30 years since 1993. That's, you know, that's not like the full on modern era, but like that's most people on Twitter are about, I don't know, in their twenties, thirties, maybe forties. And like Pitt has more losing seasons, fewer bowl wins, um, you know, fewer NCAA tournament wins or elite eights. They've never done anything in baseball. So I pointed that all that. I was like, okay, if we're less relevant than UTEP, then you're less relevant than us. And I thought this, I've never seen this happen before, Rob. Like they quote tweeted the Gauchos. And I guess we hit back a little too hard and they like disengaged and they just sent a separate subtweet about Texas Tech fans tweeting at them. I was like, guys, I, I mean, I was in the replies and then y'all decided to escalate it to the quote tweets. And then you're like, well, never mind. We're not going to tag you in any more tweets because we don't want you to respond. So anyway, it's fun to screw with Pitt fans really for no reason. I mean, I do hope West Virginia wins that game, but like I have no, I have no animosity toward Pitt. I, like I said, we've never played them in anything. I don't care. I hope we do one day because their fans are really soft. They would be very soft. kind of like how Utah came into the Big 12. If the ACC does implode and Pitt has to come to the Big 12, they will come kicking and screaming about how much more relevant they are than West Virginia and how they don't belong in the Big 12. And like They will be the new redheaded stepchild. So, and one guy got to the bottom. He was like, why are you even tweeting about this? And I was like, to bait y'all into engagement. And he was like, oh, well, you did good at that. It's like, I don't care about Pitt, dude. Like, we're not rivals. Nailed it. And it's funny, to, like, five words. Pitt is a clown school. Gets them, go- like, it just a hook, line, and sinker. It's amazing. So it's fun. And, of course, like, we have a decent following of West Virginia fans. Of course, they're eating it up. So, anyway, it was fun. You do have your West Virginia hat on. Jackson says in the comments, already focusing on West Virginia, so not a fan of Kyle's hat. That's good. I actually like the look-ahead approach there. Um, You know, yeah, Tarleton State. I mean, I could rant about not scheduling FCS games ever again. Uh, But, yeah, like use this as a bye week and just start watching film on, on West Virginia, in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about Tarleton just a little bit, just to say we did. Uh, Tarleton State has played two other FCS games, nothing big. Uh, they're averaging over 600 yards a game, over 500 yards a game, 300, 300 and a quarter passing, 200 yards rushing, um, averaging 55 points a game, I think. But again, against a different kind of level. 
Um, what worries you? Does anything worry you? Can we do the fastest Tarleton State preview of all time and then move on to something else? I mean, they have scored 52 points in both games. They've also given up, I think, 34 and 31, which sets like an absolute floor for you. Like, if you don't score 38 against this, I'll be like, okay, what are we doing? Um, They had a receiver. He's got like seven catches for 200-something yards and four touchdowns. So, basically, he touches the ball, he scores. So, I, I do think they probably have a – couple legit playmakers on offense. Uh, they've sacked the quarterback seven times. So I think they'll actually give you an okay look in terms of a pass rush, especially considering maybe some of the struggles on the offensive line. So I do think you can get better this game by, by repping some of the stuff that you, that have been kind of weaknesses so far. Obviously Tarleton at most positions is not going to be up to like big 12 talent. Um, but yeah, like I think the one thing, Oh, and they're good at running the ball, which you've been good at defending so far. So the one thing I would like to see is just improvement in some of the areas that that maybe we've nitpicked or that you've really struggled with and no injuries. You know, I don't I don't think really anything can happen in a game against Charleston State where you come away and go, OK, like, well, now the needle is really pointing up like you need to do that against better competition. But I think the opposite is true. Like if you can't clean up some of the things against FCS competition, it sort of gives you this sense of pessimism that those things won't get cleaned up during big 12 play either. Is there something specific you want to see from Texas tech? Do you want to see Baron Morton? Do you want to see Taj Brooks with 15 carries? Um, Is there something specifically you want to see this week? I mean, yeah, I would, yeah, there's stuff that I wanted to see the first two weeks. Hand the damn ball off. Yeah. Don't don't make atrocious decisions that lead to turnovers. Um I mean, I guess more seriously and like more tangibly, something that we've been not so good at that's sort of been backbreaking in moments is defending against a quarterback run and not even like designed run, but just Third and four, you've got to play mostly well defended. The pocket collapses, the quarterback gets the first down. That happened three or four times with Peasley in Wyoming. Bo Nix did it a few times. And when you get into Big 12 play, especially early on, you've got Garrett Green, West Virginia, he can run. Donovan Smith, Houston, he can run. I don't know which quarterback will face against Baylor. I, I don't think either's a huge running threat, but maybe has enough there to pick up a first down with their legs. And so you've been really good defending against opposing running backs and everything. Um, so that's something I'm looking for on defense. It's like, can you adequately spy and contain the opposing quarterback? Not just this game, but moving forward. Um, and and can you force turnovers like the, the havoc rate? I guess I've been seeing some of these advanced analytics and havoc rate is kind of what it sounds like. It's like when you force a tackle for loss, a sack, an interception, or a pass defended. And our secondary produced zero havoc against Oregon, literally zero, like no passes defended, no INTs. Turned Wyoming over twice, both times with Jacob Rodriguez in the game. Both of them lost fumbles. And if this take three mantra is still a big part of your defensive identity and you can't turn over Tarleton multiple times, like that would be a little bit of a red flag for me. You know, it kind of makes sense that a good offense like Oregon maybe doesn't turn the ball over. But if you can't, if you can't force Tarleton into a couple bad throws and 
things like that, then I would consider that a slight red flag as well. Yeah, if you have a fifth-year starter at quarterback, you shouldn't turn the ball over four times, huh? Uh, let's see. The turnover thing is a good one. I want to see the defense turn over the ball. That would be a good one. And run. Run the ball. Yeah. Not with Tyler Shuck, not with the quarterback, not with Baron Morton, with Taj Brooks and Cameron Valdez and Bryson Donald, whoever you want to put out there, run the damn ball. We've got, since we went live, to circle back on the beginning of the episode, we've got Pitt fans screenshotting our live stream here and calling us basement dwellers, just like their head coach Pat Narduzzi was talking. So I guess Narduzzi was talking about basement dwellers and stuff. Yeah. They are this mad about smack talk from a school that they have never played before in anything that it's gotten that personal. So this look like a basement. I don't know. I told, uh, I responded and said that I said, how did Pat Narduzzi know that we live in your mom's basement? And so we'll see what he does with that. Oh, good God. <laughs> uh, all right. So after the Sunday night episode, I think we can move on from Tarleton. Uh, it's not up to us to focus on Tarleton. Yeah, there was, I guess, last thing on Tarleton, there was all that noise before the Oregon game. Like, is it about us or is it about them? When you're playing an FCS team, like, it's all about you. There's nothing yeah. nothing that Tarleton should do from their side. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful that they, like, force you into doing A or B. Like, this is all about how well you execute, how disciplined you play, hopefully you imposing your will on them. And so I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It, it's hard to get up for an FCS game and – you know, if they were like an elite playoff FCS team, and maybe they are this year, I don't know. I might give it a little bit more thought. But this is all about can you clean up the issues that have plagued you through two weeks and, and what can you do to Tarleton? Especially at 0-2. If you're 2-0 and and you're really cooking and talking about what you need to do, I, I, I don't mind playing FCS games, but I can't stand FCS as your third game. It, if- it should be your first game. It feels like a letdown. I mean, after going on the road at an FBS opponent and then hosting a top 15 team, it's like, I mean, we kind of dog the SEC for a much more extreme version of this. They play these games in November, and that's way worse. But by week three, I mean, like TCU Houston are playing a conference game. The rest of the conference slate is right around the corner. It feels like, okay, why are we playing an FCS game right now? Yeah. So on uh, Sunday, after our episode, we were talking about what we're going to talk about today and uh both of us were just like i i don't i mean i guess we'll have something to talk about talk about tarleton for a little bit and uh do a mailbag and then on monday afternoon evening whenever it was the bombshell drops that micah hudson has committed to texas tech now this is something that we thought happened months ago and has been silent uh, but it is now public and then Micah Hudson went full uh, battle mode on Instagram comment sections and Twitter fear, Twitter sphere and backed it up for hours, it seemed like, after his commitment. That's all he did after the commitment was just talk about how great Texas Tech was and how he didn't care about the bag and was just coming to Texas Tech because of the relationships. Has there ever been a more needed commitment in the history of Texas Tech? Did an 0-2 commitment publicly for Micah Hudson? Yeah, the timing is pretty good, pretty sorely needed. And, uh, you know, I was I was running the whole time because my 
my just best guess, I didn't know anything, but my guess was that he committed in the summer and just wasn't announcing it. And I was like, okay, why is he not announcing it? I don't know. Maybe he was waiting for like the perfect time. And he thought, okay, my future school needs a little bit of momentum. They need a little bit of juice. I'll do it now. Maybe he had a different date in mind and change plans. I have no clue. The, the one thing that kind of worried me the time that I thought he was committed and not announcing was like, okay, yeah, if the season goes poorly, would he change his mind? Or even after he commits publicly, would he, would he flip and sign somewhere else? And trust me, I know that anything can happen in recruiting. And in that sense, nothing would surprise me, but the way he defended specific criticisms of his decision, which by the way, adults online should not be criticizing a 17 year old's decision like this. Uh, But it was like, like he knows nobody blindfolded him and said like, Hey, don't, don't tell him what Texas Tech's record is this year. He knows we're 0-2. He knows we lost to Wyoming. And he committed anyway and was flaming Texas fans that were trying to talk down on him for committing to Texas Tech or trying to talk down on Texas Tech. And so that gave me some optimism, like, okay, he this is going to stick. And he even had a quote. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was in, like, a, the, the RedRaiderSports.com interview with him. But, you know, he said, loyalty is important to me. I'm signing with Tech. And again, it's college recruiting in 2023. Anything can happen, but seems pretty solid on it. And um, so that that was that that was a big deal for sure. Yeah, and there was lots of quotes that came out afterwards. Um, you mentioned one there, and he did an interview with I guess 365, maybe did some more interviews. And of course, you could just quote him himself on Instagram and and Twitter. Um numerable quotes and I loved all of them. I loved everything that Mike Hudson had to say about loyalty, about um, why he did it, when he did it. Now, again, everything could change. This is a, a, a commitment, not a signing. So we'll see what happens, but it just is an incredible commitment for Texas Tech to get and changes the class in a lot of ways. It goes from a pretty good class to a really good class. And if Micah Hudson commits, you might get a couple of more that probably weren't coming here, and you still have the time to get them uh, if you want to get a bigger class in. I think it also helps you. You're probably mostly full for 2024. I think it helps you in 2025. You know, Micah Hudson goes to all these – you know, elite rivals camps, uh, seven on seven tournaments. Like he knows other guys in the state of Texas that can play. And I, I think we needed a guy like him to sort of break the seal on will a, a true blue chip elite prospect ever commit to Texas Tech? And like now, now that he's crossed that line, the next guy won't be the first five star in history or or what have you. And so hopefully he can kind of encourage and persuade some other really elite prospects in 2025 and beyond. Uh, just by saying, like, hey, you don't have to go to LSU or Georgia or Oklahoma or wherever. Like, you can make a name for yourself at Texas Tech. I did think it was funny. I thought two criticisms of his decision were funny. One, that we only got him because he's a legacy. When we've whiffed on legacy after legacy for the last, I don't know how long. Um, but, I mean, we had 
Monte Rego was a, an All-American here, and we didn't get his kid. Byron Hanspart was a All-American, Doak Walker Award winner. We didn't get either of his kids. I'm sure there's others I'm blanking on right now. Um, so it's never been the deal at Tech that, oh, well, my dad played there, so I'm going to go there too. Um, hey, using Texas and Texas Tech as an example, we lost Jonathan Gray um, to Texas, even though his dad played here. So I thought that was funny. And I thought the other criticism that was funny was he only went there because of money. It was like, I mean, you're a fan of the University of Texas. What do you think y'all are doing in terms of NIL and – like all these Lambos and Ferraris lined up for visiting prospects and you're going to try to dog another school for paying a kid. And I don't know what kind of NIL Micah Hudson is lined up to make. I'm sure he'll be well compensated because he's an elite prospect. But it's like, you're at the university of Texas. You can't be dogging other people for paying recruits. Like this, this is what y'all do and what every other program like y'all does. And if we didn't do it, like if he committed to you, y'all be calling us broke and then we have no money. And it's like, well, you're mad if we're poor. You're mad if we're rich. Just stay mad, I guess. Everything runs to love it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. So we've got uh, Micah Hudson coming to Texas Tech. We've got a game against Tarleton this weekend. Uh. What else is going on in the Texas Tech world that you want to talk about? Well, real quick, before we wrap up the Hudson comment, I think that Will Hammond probably played a big role both in Mike Hudson wanting to play with a quarterback as good as him and also Hammond explicitly trying to recruit other guys to the class. And so it's one of those things. I mean, college rosters are so just tenuous nowadays. Almost, It sounds ridiculous to bank on two guys that are in high school right now playing together, but with the potential both of them seem to have, it kind of gets you excited that once they're both sophomores or juniors, kind of what that could look like. So shout out to Will Hammond. And another reason I think Micah Hudson committed that Texas fans and others aren't talking about is I'm sure one of his many visits to Lubbock, he made it out to Olton and tried Rahino barbecue and thought, why would I go to college anywhere else? So he knows what we know, that Rahino Barbecue is the best barbecue in West Texas. A Texas monthly top 50 barbecue joint. Their market is now open seven days a week. Brick and mortar open five days a week. If you can't catch them in Lubbock, get them out in Knowlton. It's only a 45-minute drive or so. Everything's good. You can't miss with the brisket, the ribs, the sausage, you name it. Great people out there, too. It's a true family business, small business, local business. At RahinoBBQ.com. I'd butcher that at Rahino BBQ on social, RahinoBBQ.com if you want to order ahead to make sure your food is there when you arrive. Appreciate their support of the gambling gauchos. We went by this weekend. It was uh, very good. So good. Rob is stuck between a Coke deal and the guy who opens Jurassic Park. Is that my. Uh... So my hat and shirt? Is that what he's talking about? Yeah, maybe he means your get-up is somewhere between. Coke deal and uh, the guy who opens Jurassic Park. That reminds me of Ray Wiley Hubbard saying that he's got how does that, uh, the Screw You We're From Texas song. Screw you. He says, I must look like some Porter Ranzis dope dealer. I forgot what he says he's wearing. He's like He's got sunglasses and a, he calls it a mobile phone. I guess that was back in the day when he called it a mobile phone. 
So anyway, you you look stuck between a Coke deal, the guy who opens Jurassic Park, and some Porter Rancis dope dealer. And a basement dweller. <laughs> oh, I've never lived in a basement, by the way. Oh, man. It's been an episode. Um, This is what you get when we're trying to preview an FCS game. Like, yeah. Feels like the off season, which is why I don't think you should schedule these games. You want to do mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. Do a Matador Transit mailbag. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? Um, The comment section here in the mailbag is really fast. Well, it's not even in the mailbag. I think it's in the... Star bench cut, Coke dealer, Jurassic Park opener, or basement dweller? Oh, man. I'll start Jurassic Park, bench the basement, and cut the Coke. Cut the Coke, huh? Cut the Coke. Uh, Let's see. Over under how much of Jimbo's $90 million does he owe Jameis Winston? Man, okay, the, you're going to get me on a little bit of a rant here. So, okay. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Vikings fan. And per my $5 a month agreement with Mario, I don't talk about that a lot. But I've lived it. And I was there on draft night in 2010 or 2011 – when we not only drafted Christian Ponder in the first round, but traded up to do so. And it's easy in hindsight to criticize, but at the moment, as a freaking high schooler, I was like, what are we doing? Why did we draft Christian Ponder? That's not a first-round quarterback. So I knew. But somehow Jimbo got this reputation as this quarterback whisperer, this quarterback guru. and He got E.J. Manuel mocked in the first round. I think E.J. Manuel was taken in the first round by the Bills, yep. like 18th overall, like middle of the first round. Jameis Winston, I feel like I'm blanking on some other guys, but I guess Jameis was the best out of that group. I mean, he won the Heisman in college, won a lot of games, wasn't a good pro. But I don't know, like I see other guys that have worked with quarterbacks that are way better than Christian Ponder, Jameis Winston, and E.J. Manuel. And, yeah, they were like, hey, we need this. Kellen Mond got drafted in the third round by, you guessed it, the Vikings. Like, What are we doing? So I don't know how Jimbo sold this bill of goods that like, oh, all my quarterbacks are good and I'm so great at developing quarterbacks. But yeah, I would say 80 million of the 90 million is on this just misconception that he's some quarterback whisperer that he never has been. Where would you rank Saturday night's environment at the Jones and games you've attended in recent years? The stripe out was really well done. I think the light show got people going. 
I mean, I mean, I would put it up to like, I mean, I've been to quote unquote sellouts and I've been to a, a sellout where you cannot find an open seat. And this was like, I'm looking across at the opposite, like the very upper corner, every seat is full. And part of that's because you're missing a few thousand seats. Like you're at 56 and change right now instead of 60. But still, I, th- I thought the atmosphere was really good. And on a big recruiting weekend like that, when you do have a bunch of visitors, you obviously want to win the game. But I don't think any recruit could have left that thinking like, well, that was kind of a dud. Like they, they saw a great environment to play in, a loud fan base stadium that was 100% behind the team. So had you had you won the game, I think it would have been up there on some of those top five lists or so of you know best crowds that people remember. So taking the L puts a damper on that a little bit. But, yeah, no complaints about the crowd. It was great. Uh, Starter says, I was told Tech would no longer sell out games after UTOU, but every game has been sold out this year. Impressive. And then he also says the stadium music has improved. They finally retired the Jock Jams 1996 soundtrack. I didn't notice the music. Uh, I'm not I'm not disputing that. I just, well, I guess, wasn't paying super close attention. Uh, but, yeah, that would be a, a welcome upgrade. Oh, yeah, so Stephen Stevens has a good point. There's also been sellouts at the Jones and then sellouts where some of the student section trickles into the grass. It, the grass was pretty much full, and I've, like, only ever seen that for, like, 2008 Texas or something. So, yeah, students showed out, too, and I guess we were over capacity. Um, I haven't seen an official number. I know the seating capacity now is 56 and change, but if there was a bunch of people – in the grass there it could have been more. I don't know. Where were you when Micah Hudson committed on 9-11? I was, I think, on my couch, just at home. Same. Yes, the Kansas State game sold out as well today. Yeah, so that's four of six home games so far are already sold out. And I would assume if you beat West Virginia, if you beat Tarleton, West Virginia, and Kansas State, you'll probably sell out TCU as well, even though it's on a Thursday. Yeah, Thursday is going to be trickier just because it's harder for people to travel in from out of town, and you are dependent on that to sell out. So yeah, I think I I agree. It'll just be a matter of how optimistic do people feel and how good of a season are you having for that TCU game. Uh, now that Micah has committed, how effing good are we going to be at football? Before he committed, we were going to be really good at football. After he committed, we'll be even better at football. Like I said last episode, the last two games have sucked. But I've not wavered at all in terms of being all in on Joey and the trajectory of the program. So, no doubts there. Where does Aaron Rodgers rank on the list of all-time greatest Jets quarterbacks? Man, they do not have – let's see. You have to put Namath number one. Yeah, Broadway Joe. Is Chad Pennington number two? Brett Favre. Okay. Mark Sanchez went to multiple AFC championships, didn't he? He went to, I think, two or three in a row. So, he's got to be up there. Tom Tupa. Vinny Testaverde. Did, did you get the Tom Tupa reference? No. I think they actually changed NFL rules because of this. The Jets had two quarterbacks on their roster. Both of them got hurt, and they had to play the punter at quarterback for like two and a half, three quarters of the game, and they almost won. Um, like the punter, I think, played 
quarterback in high school, like he could kind of throw. And so they made do and lost like, you know, 13 to 10, but they almost won with their punter, Tom Tupa, quarterback. Um, This is from Michael. He says, does Micah Hudson ever play it down at Texas Tech? I'll say yes, but again, I understand the skepticism. Recruiting and the portal and all that is so crazy. Nothing would surprise me. What say you? Uh, yes, he will. As a true freshman, he'll come in and play. Is Micah bringing Louie with him? We talked about that already a little bit. I think, I think recruiting improves when you start getting five stars in. Yes, I don't think you'll get two next year now that you got one this year. But you know, if he signs, which is another conversation, we know. But I think your recruiting improves when when recruiting improves. Well, even just high end four stars, like not every kid with a Georgia offer or OU offer is a five star. But and I'm not I'm not claiming like this is going to be the new norm at all. But if you can get one or two kids per class with an offer list comparable to Micah Hudson, that's that's a pretty big. And you've already kind of gotten there to an extent with some lower rated prospects, like sometimes a high three or a low four star still has those like major Big Ten SEC type offers. And so you're you're totally swimming in a different pond or fishing in a different pond than like I remember Cliff would offer these guys and the offer list was like Kansas, Houston, and a bunch of in state FCS schools. It was like we're not we're not out doing Oklahoma State or TC or anybody for this guy's services. Yeah. And I also don't think recruiting rankings are the end all be all, but I think that they're mostly a good indicator of how well you're recruiting. Uh, let's see. Do you have a recent sports moment that could have been immortalized had the announcer just stayed quiet? <laughs> this doesn't reach that level, but I, the, was it Carl Ravitch in the Oral Roberts TCU baseball game? Oh, yes. That was brutal. Not that that moment was going to be like immortalized for me or or anybody. I guess probably for Oral Roberts fans. But that was just such a bad call. It was like, dude. Um, I don't know. I also – I always make fun of Tim Brando for the flea flicker fumble ruski style. Yeah. In the the 2015 Texas Tech versus Texas game. I'll say that one because that's a game I actually, you know, cared about the outcome, and it sticks with me eight years later that he butchered that so badly. So bad, fumble ruski, flea flicker style. <laughs> uh, let's see. Follow up favorite announcer moment where one or both say something utterly ridiculous. I love the ones where they get uh, sidetracked on fans. Have you seen the one where the guy throws a piece of pizza? No. There's like a foul ball fiasco down the line. And there's a fan that throws a piece of pizza at another fan. And the the play-by-play of the pizza throwing is really funny. Like the guy's cracking up and he's like, he threw the pizza! That's a pretty good one. Like Keith Hernandez has a lot of those on uh, Mets broadcasts where they just talk about the fans. They're hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. 
in the comments section, thoughts on turf versus grass debate occurring in the NFL. I'm always pro grass. Yeah, I haven't seen much of the debate. What's what are both sides saying? Oh, there's uh, you know less injuries scientifically is what they're trying to say on grass fields versus turf fields that turf caused more injuries. I don't know how quantifiable that is. The commenter in her doctor's jacket in the YouTube comment section says JK's injury was on grass. Nothing was saving Rogers Achilles. The mechanism of injury was clear and had little to do with the playing surface. I do think there's probably some truth to guys like tearing their ACLs and MCLs on turf. And I just like grass better. I've also seen like, I, I, I'm way out of my element here, but there's different kinds of turf. And I'm not just talking like AstroTurf versus like even the grass turf, there's multiple different kinds. And so like, this is kind of off topic, but we'll illustrate what I'm where I'm trying to go with this. I drafted Jameer Gibbs in fantasy and somebody pointed out that people always suffer – running backs always suffer foot and knee injuries on the Lions' home turf, but this offseason they just replaced it to like a different kind of turf. And I think when they re-turfed Texas Tech Stadium, they were like, yeah, this is the same as, you know, what the Rams play on out at – is it Allegiant? What's their stadium called? Uh, that's in Vegas. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's that one too. Maybe yeah. it's at both of those stadiums. Um. So anyway, maybe they've kind of refined some of these artificial turf surfaces that, in a way that can minimize injury. I just like the kind of tradition and, and look of natural grass. Um, but yeah, hopefully as they continue to develop, that they, they can find surfaces that don't make guys more prone to injury. When I think it's more grass-like with the, they've moved away from rubber and it's like old coffee that they put or like coconut husk so it's more dirt like I, I don't know i also know that like indoor turf is one thing but outdoor turf especially in texas like when you're doing seven on seven in the summer or two a days or even playing your first couple games there in early september the turf i think is like 10 or 15 degrees hotter than natural grass and I remember having like blisters on my feet through the cleats that I wore all day at like seven on seven tournaments. So that's kind of extreme. Like you're probably not going to get that in other climates across the country. Uh, but natural grass is noticeably and considerably cooler. And, you know, that, that also kind of brings into question like a safety element. Like, is it safe to have guys when it's 105 outside and 120 on the turf? How safe is that? Especially for like high school ball. Right. But I also know natural grass is way tougher to maintain, obviously. Um, so I, I guess I see both sides of it. But I, I prefer natural grass when feasible. Which in high schools makes sense. But in the NFL, when you're making billions of dollars, you can keep up with grass. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, who have been the best offensive and defensive units so far? I'm assuming this is a Texas Tech-related question. I think... I think interior D-line has been good. Like I said, we're very good at stopping the run, the, the traditional run game against both Wyoming and Oregon. Um, grading on a curve, I would say inside linebacker. I think when Pierre and Rodriguez were both out there, they looked good. And then Ben Roberts filling in looked good against Oregon, especially for 
a redshirt freshman making his first start against a top 15 team. Um, so those would be the two on defense that I would say I'm most impressed with to this point. And then offensively, I don't know, man. They've kind of all had their – I'll say Taj Brooks running back, like in limited opportunities. He's run the ball well. He's done great in blitz pickup. And every other position group, in my opinion, has kind of had like a spectrum of glaring issues to subtle issues. Like the receivers have been pretty good, but there have been some drops. O-line has been hit or miss, and then quarterback hit or miss. So I'll say running back kind of by default, even though there's not a ton of volume there. Did, did I miss one? No, I agree with I agree, agree with those. Especially middle linebacker on a curve. Ben Roberts is, you know, he wasn't he wasn't labeled as a starter, and I thought uh, Wesley Smith had a good game in in his limited snaps, and I thought, um, you know, everybody you rolled out there at middle linebacker had a decent game. We got a comment about Tharp in the Oregon game, and so yeah, I'd say if you're willing to kind of like delineate tight ends from receivers, I think he's been when given the opportunity in game two, he was really good. Just hard to say tight ends when you you just haven't used them much. Yeah, when they have like six total targets through two games or whatever, it, yeah. whatever it is. Uh, if the staff is committed to starting Shuck, should Barron get real reps against Tarleton early and be a major Applewhite option the rest of the season? I don't know. I think that. Ideally, yeah, you do want him to get some game reps, even if it is against an FCS team. But on the other hand, if they're trying to squash quarterback controversy, like even if Shuck plays really well and then they put Barron in and, like, you know, we go on a 75-yard touchdown drive, that does nothing to sort of calm the waters. So they seem really committed to Shuck. I don't think we'll see a quarterback change. And I guess that kind of is what it is for now. And I don't think Barron Morton plays until late in the third, regardless of the score. And then do they even go a step further and say we want to get Jake Strong some reps? You know, he can he can play four games without burning his red shirt. So I don't know what they'll do. If they skip Barron. I don't think they'll skip him, but like don't blame it all. If it's forty two to ten and then Barron gets it to fifty two to ten, do they just go to Jake Strong? I don't know. Yeah. Uh I'm gonna add a question here. What did you think of Kansas? And there are 1.4 million viewers on ESPN2, which is a top five college football game on ESPN2 since 2019. Okay, yeah, um, really good number on ESPN2. And as Kyle Umlang clarification there. Yeah, since 29, asterisk teen. Yeah, yeah, 1.4 million on ESPN2 is no joke, really, no matter the time slot and – We've controlled – we went back to 2017 or I think 2017 and controlled for like day of the week, time slot, network. And even if you want to say, well, it was Friday, so it had no competition, um, that does help. But even then, I only found one game featuring an ACC, Big 12, or Pac-12 team that got better ratings on ESPN2 on a Friday night. That was Louisville versus UCF. They got $1.8 million. And so the um, 
I don't think maybe the Big Ten or SEC have played on ESPN two on a Friday night, but I feel like very limited opportunities. So I feel pretty confident saying this is like a top two or three most viewed game in that window since at least 2017. So that's impressive stuff. And, you know, it'd be one thing if like TCU did that coming off a college football playoff or, um, you know, Iowa State did that in the year that they were preseason top 10 or, you know, pick your Big 12 program. But for Kansas to do it against Illinois, like those are two football programs that don't naturally bring a ton of juice to a TV audience. I think it, I think it's a good sign for the Big 12 going forward. Uh, what do you think about Texas text number? Decent. I mean, it was going up against what later turned out to be the most watched ESPN regular season broadcast since 2015, I think. So that's, I mean, anytime you're going up against Texas, Alabama, like that's, it's going to be tough, but you still eclipse 2 million, which back during all the realignment discussion, we were told 2 million was kind of like the key number that the over the air stations were looking for on, on broadcasts like that. I think any other week, or if Texas Alabama had played at two thirty, you probably would have pretty easily topped three million, maybe even been at four million. But yeah, you cleared the the key hurdle there, which is two million. So that was good. Are right, you want to pick some games? Yeah, let's do it. Do you have them pulled up? You want me to pull them up? Uh, I'll pull them up while you uh, fish for an ad read. You know, I was uh, looking online the other day on Twitter and uh, came across some of these Captain Long photos from Rackham Outdoors. It's just a beautiful fish, man. Henry Winkler was showing off his fish the other day. I bet Henry Winkler could catch some good fish at Baffin Bay. Legendary Baffin Bay. Uh, It's all West Texas. But if you're going to the coast of Texas and you want to do some wade fishing out in the water, be one with nature. Do it with Reckham Outdoors. You can find them online, ReckhamOutdoors.com, or on Instagram, Reckham Outdoors is their handle on social. You can follow Captain Preston Long there on Twitter. Uh, he puts out some photos as well. I just like looking at fish photos, people catching them. They're huge, huge fish, all kinds of fish, wade fishing, and legendary Baffin Bay. You can do it with Reckham Outdoors. Book a trip now on ReckhamOutdoors.com. Better fishermen, Captain Preston Long or the Gauchos baiting pit fans during Backyard Brawl Week? That's a tough one. Uh, I would I would go with Captain Long, though. Yeah, you have to go fishing with him to find out. Also, I love that people assume it's me uh, that's the online troll most times. Got a game? Nope. That's that's my bad. I'll take the blame on that one. I said I, said I was going to do it and just whiffed on the follow through. Let's see here. Were you doing uh, getting out some more tweets off over there? <laughs> Kinda. Um, couple FCS games. We won't do those as always. Long Island is going to Waco, Texas. This is where like. Anybody who doesn't want to ban this game has no right to complain about 
travel with conference realignment. Like at least Oregon going to play Wisconsin is a good matchup. Why does Long Island University, that's in New York, go to Waco to play a, an FCS first Power Five game? That's their second FCS game. Are you throwing shade at Texas State? Are they FBS now? Yeah, they're Sunbelt, I think. Yeah, Sunbelt. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> shade. Um, Kansas State also playing an FCS team, Missouri. Oh, no, actually, yeah, Missouri's a real team, allegedly. We can pick that one. Dorkwitz. Dorkwitz, your boy. Um, this is a, it's supposed to be a good game. Kansas State whooped them last year in Manhattan. It's in Columbia this year. On action, I'm showing Kansas State favored by four, and the total is 48. Kansas State. I think so, too. Pretty easily, in my opinion. E-ball, baby. E-ball. Um, uh, kind of a interesting matchup for Iowa State. Sort of like Shades of Tech going to Wyoming. They go to Ohio, which is kind of a weird road game for the Cyclones. They're only favored by three. And I thought I saw some advanced analytics after the Iowa game that they outplayed Iowa, according to the numbers, for a good majority of that game. Didn't win. Uh, didn't cover. But only favored by three against a group of five, a MAC opponent in Ohio. Thoughts on this one? Not many thoughts. Uh, I was watching our friends talk about Iowa State, uh, the wide right natty light guys, talk about Iowa State before this. Um, they were high on the special teams and defense, but low on the offense, which seems pretty regulatory for Iowa State fans. Um. I'll take Iowa State to cover here over Ohio. I think I'll lean that way too. Might not be pretty. I feel like a push, maybe worst case scenario, even if they need like a last second field goal. They were favored, I think, by like 18 last year at home against Ohio. So I, I don't know if Ohio got way better. Doesn't seem like Iowa State got way worse. So for whatever that's worth. Villanova, UCF, I'm not going to do that. Big in-state rivalry to wrap up the non-con for the Sooners. OU goes to Tulsa. That'll be 90% crimson crowd, don't you think? Oh, yeah. They're laying 27.5 against the Golden Hurricane. They covered last weekend against SMU, but low scoring. Like, it wasn't pretty. I think it was 28-11 to 11 with a spread of 15.5. So, they, they do cover, but it was a little bit ugly. You think they'll start the year 3-0 and against the spread? No, give me Tulsa here in a spot. Okay. A slight cover. I think Oklahoma will win by 24. I'm going to go – I'm going to put the Big 12 at 3-0 and and take the Sooners. Another more legitimate in-state rivalry, Cincinnati hosts Miami of Ohio. Like I said, not being facetious here, this is actually pretty close to 50-50 rivalry all time, and they've played – I think like a hundred times or close to it. Cincinnati, maybe the kind of surprise team so far. They go on the road and beat Pitt. Not that Pitt's very good. Demolish Eastern Kentucky in the in their FCS game. They're laying 14 and a half against Miami of Ohio. 
can they keep it rolling or do you does the hook kind of scare you let's keep it rolling cincinnati go bearcats I feel like I'm about to pick all Big 12 teams, so I'm just going to go with Miami of Ohio just because of the hook. The total is low. It's only 45 and a half. So maybe a low-scoring game, backdoor cover kind of situation. Who knows? Oklahoma State into Stillwater is hosting the United States of America, USA. It's actually Southern Alabama. Only laying seven. I don't, I don't think Oklahoma State's that good, but they're 2-0. and They won and covered on the road against a Power 5 team. That's just like not a ton of respect from the odds makers. Your thoughts on Oklahoma State minus 7 against South Alabama or Southern Alabama? I don't have any thoughts on this game. I They should cover. But 7 is a wild number. Big game boomer put them on serious upset alert. I mean, South Alabama is a good squad. Historically, I just I can't make myself believe that at home Gundy can't beat South Alabama by more than a touchdown. Probably a square pick based on that logic, but give me the pokes. This is a compelling non. Um, let's knock out a couple of the non not so compelling ones, and then we'll move around. Wyoming goes to Austin. Would have loved to see this game played in Laramie just for all the. Altitude effects and everything, but this is probably not going to go well for the Cowboys. I'll be pulling for them. I'll wear my Wyoming shirt. They're getting 29 in Austin. Maybe a letdown spot for Texas coming off the big win. What do you think? Yeah, I'll take Wyoming here to keep it close within 28. Yeah, I think at 29, I I don't like love it, and I can see Texas covering in the first half. But I could also see Wyoming just going really slow and maybe yeah. make it this like 38 to 10 doesn't sound crazy to me. The total's 48 and a half, so that's it's about what Vegas expects. Kansas, dude. Kansas Jayhawks are giving 28 on the road against an FBS opponent. Get a little bit of Big 12 after dark, 9:30 Central Time kickoff. Is this crazy or is that actually about right? It's about right. Idaho beat Nevada 33-6. to Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're 0-2. I was thinking, is Jay Norvell still there? No, he went, um, he's not. Because they were, they were semi-competent under him. No, they are, they had a weird coaching change this offseason, I believe. Okay. You know what? Screw it. Give me the Jayhawks minus 28, because how many times in your life are you going to get to take that? line yeah their head coach is ken wilson don't know who that is no offense yeah so byu going to fayetteville i think two teams that are both two and oh but both maybe kind of didn't impress much arkansas is favored by eight and a half i know you're a big sam Pittman guy Thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, I do like Arkansas. Um, I really – I still don't know what I think about BYU. That same Houston game was so weird. Um, 
I think they have a legit defense. Can, can it travel? This game's in Arkansas, right? Yes. What's the line? Eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take BYU to, to cover there. I think I'm going to go with Arkansas. Fair enough. The Mormon school versus the only school mentioned in the Bible. Interesting. There's a rivalry name in there somewhere. The first actual Big 12 conference game of the season, I think, is also an interesting one. TCU and Houston, one and one. Uh, TCU, the disappointing week one loss to Colorado. I say disappointing because they were 20 and a half point favorites. But that's because everybody thought Colorado sucked, and I don't think Colorado sucks. And then sort of an uninspiring win over an FCS team in Nichols. Houston, big win over UTSA week one. They follow that up with a bit of a dud against Rice. They lose after coming all the way back from, I think, down 28-0, maybe 28-7. 28 to nothing. They came all the way back. They and they lose nothing. in double OT. It's in Houston. The line is seven and a half. I think both teams – Whichever team loses, I think, kind of, that's a kick in the gut. And whichever team wins, I think feels like, especially if Houston wins, I think they feel like they've, maybe they can chalk up Rice as a fluke and say, hey, we've got two quality wins on our belt. TCU wins, it just means, like, we've avoided kind of a disastrous start to the season. But I think both teams, like, playing for a lot, a lot to prove. I don't know. And I don't know what to make of either of these teams. So like, this is a really hard and seven and a half is always a tough number to pick against. So I don't know. TCU by a billion. That's kind of what I'm leaning toward. Like if, if Colorado is a top 20 team and I don't know if I buy that, but they're, they're ranked there right now. Yeah. And TCU went blow for blow with them. I think that they can go on the road. So I, I'm going to lean that way. I, I don't feel great about it at all, but I'm going to say TCU minus seven and a half. Last but certainly not least, our Super Bowl. The Backyard Brawl is back in Morgantown for the first time in more than a decade. In the offseason, I would have thought Pitt was going to be favored by four, five, six. They opened Pitt minus two. It's flipped. Action is showing West Virginia as a one-and-a-half-point favorite at home. I'm going to trust the climb. I think huge spot. For this team. They need to get to two and one in the non-con. I don't think anybody expected them to beat Penn State. So this is kind of like the pivotal game early. It gives them some momentum going into Big 12 play. It buys Neil Brown a little bit of time. It's their arch rival. It's at home. Night game. ABC. Give me the Mountaineers. Give me the Mountaineers. I'm trailing. And you know I'm not a, a climb truster. And I've got memes ready if Pitt wins, because I'm sure we'll get some Pitt fans in the mentions, and that's okay. There's nothing about Pitt's athletic department that can possibly trigger me. Like, I just don't care, guys. You might as well be Stanford or just – but it's fun to – we do a little trolling. It's called we do a little trolling. But, yeah, give me the Mountaineers. We'll get the memes off whether they win or lose. I wasn't super paying attention, so we've got that at 6.30. That'll be going on at the same time as TCU-Houston. That's a 7 o'clock kickoff. And then Missouri. Oh, bummer. Why is Missouri K-State on the SEC network? 
at 11 a.m. Yeah, I mean, I I think I get the SEC Network. Sure, it's on the ESPN app, huh? Yeah. If not, so you get that one in the morning, kind of some duds, and then two good night games, three good night games if you count BYU Arkansas. Four. One the- yeah, I, I was looking at. I know. FBS opponents, but which one of those is splitting the difference there at two thirty? But uh, you know, all the all the whining about what a dud the week three slate is. I think there's some interesting Big Twelve games. Yeah, I think Houston TCU is a really interesting game. I think Missouri Kansas State's a really good game, and I think West Virginia Pitt's going to be a good one. Yeah, if Oklahoma yeah. State is going to have to claw to beat South Alabama by seven. That might be an interesting game. Man, I wish we were playing them this year. I know, dude. Say it every week. And Iowa State. All right. Uh, final thoughts? Uh, let me find something real quick. I'm always so caught off guard by the final thoughts segment. You never know it's coming. I just throw it in at different parts of the show every time. Yep. It's not like it's at the end every time. We've got the... Uh... Jurassic Park song stuck in my head now. Here's a good one for an 0-2 start to the season. Okay. Never does one have just one misfortune after another. Never does one have just one misfortune after another. Hmm. I think what that means is that we're due. It means it can't always be misfortune after misfortune forever. So hammer that Texas Tech money line, baby. Minus 9,000 or whatever the heck it's going to be. Hammer it! And if we lose, I don't even know. But I don't think we will because never does one have just one misfortune after another. There was a comment earlier about if you go into Waco needing your first win, and I just I couldn't. That's not going to happen. No. All right, Kyle. Another great episode with you, man. Same to you, Rob. 80 minutes of us. You want to do that math again? 60 minutes of us. (laughs) However long an hour it is. All right. Go ears. Eat it, Pitt. That's my uh that's my final thought. Go ears. All right, go ears, baby. Love y'all.